Welcome to the moment that changed everything, where we interview notable creative people to gain insights into how they got started and learn more about the moments that shaped them and their careers. Today, we sit down with Jazz Takar. Jazz is a real estate investment broker, author, and founder and host of the REC Experience, a podcast that specializes in real estate, entrepreneurship, and business leadership. If you just focus on bringing education, treating people right, and only worry about getting referrals, the mindset on how you're gonna take care of somebody changes because you're not trying to close them, getting them to buy right now. It's more like, okay, how can I drop some seeds here? How can I plant some seeds for them to introduce me to their network? A Toronto native, Jazz has been in the sales and service industry for over 25 years and today oversees a team of realtors and staff that advises over 700 buyers, sellers, and investors yearly across the greater Toronto area. In this episode, Jazz shares his thoughts on why Toronto is anything but a bubble, the psychology of buyers and sellers in a market with very little inventory, and how his humble beginnings has led him to a life he could never have imagined. Jazz. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Steve. I'm excited, my man. Great outfit here you guys have. Thanks. Well, thank you very much. Listen, we, we have a lot of creative people who are on the podcast. And of course, you being active in the real estate market in Toronto, I have to think that you've been nothing short of a creative genius in navigating the pandemic in your sector. Would that be a fair fair comment? Definitely. I think the first thing that we did once we heard about the lockdown, I think it was like March 18th, when, once the prime minister said, that's it, don't go out, we decided. Real estate was and still is deemed an essential service, but my squad, my team of 33 realtors and 10 support staff, I decided to, to go virtual and work from home. Thought it would be the safest thing. In all honesty, I thought this was only going to last two weeks. I was laughing with my director of sales and, and my business partner saying, okay, why don't we take kind of like a two-week hiatus, like a little vacation. As time went on, obviously, we're still only now getting into phase three. But the first thing that we decided to do was to get on to not, not only run like a virtual meeting on Zoom, but we went virtual on Zoom for eight, nine hours at a day for six days a week. So the whole team, we were at... 9, uh, 8.30 a.m. to about 6 p.m. all day doing what we normally would do at the office, throwing ideas off at, uh, at each other, making sure that we're doing something. We're, we're trying to execute on things. We failed at, I'm going to say, 80% of them, mm -hmm. but it was that 20% that got us out of this pandemic. Well, you know, right now, of course, we're in a, a time where we just take education uh, you know, you're, you're seeing organizations and entities who you can clearly see were thinking, you know what, by the fall, we're going to open up and we're going to and they kind of they kind of banked on that. And now we're here and it's not looking like that's going to happen for your organization. When you were looking at it, at what point did you decide that you were kind of like, you know what, this looks like it's going to go a little bit longer than we think maybe we should make some investment in, in just being prepared for what it's going to be like in the fall. For us, it was, it was probably, and not even getting prepared for the fall, it was getting prepared for like the time within the lockdown. Mm -hmm. So I would say after a week, we actually sent no emails out to our clients, um, had no communication about like what we're doing in terms of the lockdown for a week because I wanted to see how it was playing out. It was in that first week I realized this is not going to be for two weeks now. This mm -hmm. is going to be longer. And we, we got on the phone, called all of our clients, and just asked if they needed anything. 
-hmm. It wasn't here, I'm here to sell you your home or help you buy or help you invest. It really was, did you need anything from us? Do you need someone to pick up your groceries? Does your neighbor need any help? And once we started getting on the phone, we realized, well, they're, they're working, they're employed. In fact, in Canada and in, in Ontario's 85%, their unemployment was at 15%, which tells us that 85% of people were still employed. Out of our clients, which is close to 10,000 now over the 15 years, 90, 92% of people were still employed. And mm -hmm. they were actually looking for compelling opportunities to buy and to invest. The light bulb went on. And what I decided to do at that time was do a virtual webinar every single Saturday. Sorry. At 10.30 a.m. we did it. We, it's uh, dubbed Brunch with REC. Mm -hmm. We get on, myself, my partner, we bring on guests. And we did a poll that first Saturday. And again, about 97%, as high as 97% of people said, yes, we're looking for opportunities. Mm -hmm. We started offering exclusive opportunities within real estate. I think we did like, it took us about three weeks to write a contract which is really rare for us. Mm -hmm. we, do, we help a little over 700 buyers, sellers every, and investors every single year. So to, to, to go three, three and a half weeks without writing a contract was definitely different for us. But now we're sitting here three months uh, in lockdown. We did a little over 55 uh, contracts and 55 transactions, mm -hmm. all because we started with education, we asked what people were wanting, and we just reverse engineered it. Yeah, that's very very smart. I think I think let's let's talk a little bit more about the psychology of buyers and sellers in this market because I think a lot of people would look at Toronto and we'll, and I'm dying to ask you a few other questions too, um, but let's look at Toronto because it's kind of a unique kind kind of place um, where it's been a seller's market arguably for a while now. Yeah. Um, and here we run into this thing and buyer confidence is so critical when it comes to real estate. You must have had some kind of sweaty nights, you know, thinking that maybe confidence would drop and then you're looking at, and even, I mean, let's talk about this, even if, uh, what about these these people who have sold their homes and then are in transition and then maybe they're bridge mortgaging or whatever and confidence really plummeted in, I would say, the first few weeks if not a month say, i'm gonna say a month exactly yeah. steve for me those sweaty nights were for a month at mm -hmm. least like three weeks to, to to a month but again going speaking about toronto and, and i like to look at toronto as the greater toronto area so for your out of province and out of country listeners and viewers that's about a 50 mile to 75 kilometer radius yeah. we've been in a seller market for almost a decade now, okay? There was a slight downturn where the, it shifted to a buyer's market, but safe to say we've been in a seller's market. Reason being is because we have so much demand, but very little supply. We're kind of on a real estate island here. Mm -hmm. To the south of the city, you can't build. You got the lake. We haven't figured out what Dubai has to build on water yet. Right. I'm sure we'll get there soon. <laughs> but on the north part of the greater Toronto area, we have what's called the Greenbelt legislation. Came into effect, 15 years ago in 2005 to be exact and what that states is that builders and developers can't develop this land because they're trying to preserve the land makes sense so we're kind of landlocked similar to manhattan it's why you see a lot of cranes go up in the greater toronto area because you can't build out subdivisions mm -hmm. the sweatiness from my perspective came with the fact that the borders were locked down and they're still locked down because pre-COVID, we were supposed to be getting about 200,000 people year over year here in the greater Toronto area. So that's 2 million people. Mm -hmm. With the borders locked, now that might not happen in 10 years to get that 2 million. It might happen in 11. 
Me personally, I actually, and I'm glad this is being recorded because I personally think it's going to happen in eight to nine years. The government will and is in the process of fast-tracking visas for people to come in. Okay, they're already thinking about it. The other thing is, is look, it's safe to say I think the world needs more Canada, right? I think the world is looking at us once again and saying, how did you guys protect yourselves? Back in 2010 with the financial meltdown and even now, like I know there's cases and they're going up, but it's not as bad as if you look at other places in the world. And from a financing perspective, interest rates have never been as low as we saw. You can lock in a mortgage right now for five years for like 2.1%. Yeah. For five years. Back in my first home, Steve, was in 2006. I paid four and a half percent on a five-year mortgage. Mm-hmm. I thought I robbed the bank. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's we thought rates were low back then. So when you have all this, for lack of a better word, like the perfect storm, um, you 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 have so much demand. You don't have a lot of supply. The fundamentals here in Greater Toronto area are very strong. Tech sector, you guys know, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's outpacing. Uh, Silicon Valley in terms of jobs. We have the serve. We don't really manufacture anything here. It's yeah. not like Hamilton. It's not like Calgary or Alberta, all great places. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it, it's very cyclical, those areas where Toronto, nice and slow, for the last 40 years, we've seen a 6.9 to 7.1 increase year over year. And what do you think the key things are that give you the confidence that this will continue? Because, I mean, I, I can remember opening, you know, a, a McLean's article and, and reading the comments section where a lot of people were saying, it's a bubble, you're going to see it burst. How long could this last? And here we are in the midst of a pandemic, which you would think would have lasting impacts on where we are. I think everybody's thinking that, you know, at the very least, maybe some artificial propping up because of CERB and wage subsidies and stuff like that. So to your point, um, when, when we looked at, uh, you looked at people who might be interested or you're looking at your, your, you know, your potential customers, it doesn't seem like they're unemployed, they're still making money, but what about this idea that it's being artificially propped up and then what happens if we see this thing last a lot longer and we do see unemployment come up? Or, or is it somehow, is this market somehow uh, it's protected. Uh, Teflon? Uh, in, my, in my opinion, and obviously I'm biased, I'm born and raised here, but I've been watching the great, like I've been in this business for 15 years. Mm-hmm. The so-called pundits and the experts have been saying it's a bubble since I started, mm-hmm. right? They're waiting. Now, will they be right? Sure. A, a, you wait, a broken you wait clock. around long enough and you're right. Exactly, right? Yeah. A broken clock is right tw- twice, right? A day. And so um, could that happen? Sure, it can. But it's the fundamentals. When you look at a real estate market, you want to look at, okay, why are people wanting to live in, 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 in a specific area? So let's talk about Greater Toronto Area again. It's one of the most multicultural cities in the world, okay? It's very safe. Okay, I know there's some pockets and we, look, I mean, if you Google Mother Teresa, you'll hear some negative things about her as well, right? So, I mean, there's always some negative that you can find. But in overall, one of the safest places to live, I think it's one of the most beautiful cities. It's so multicultural that the the employment rate, because we don't manufacture anything here, is quite low. If you look at it like pre-COVID, if this lasts a little bit longer, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see more renters 
in, in the marketplace. So for investors, which we're really heavily weighed in terms of our transactions mm-hmm. out of that 700, mm-hmm. probably about 50% of our, our transactions are with investors. That's how they win because you have more renters coming to the marketplace. Now, the government of Canada, the Bank of Canada, has said they're going to keep rates like this for the next couple of years minimum. Mm-hmm. So that just tells me that values will still continue to rise. Well, and so let's talk a little bit about um, maybe young buyers too, because I think if we use other markets that are astronomical, uh, like a Manhattan or something where you know you looked at maybe young people who want families who want to be in a neighborhood, they're slowly being um, pushed out because of the cost of things. We, you know, how much inventory, like one of my questions for you was going to be, if I was a young person looking to buy a house, where in Toronto am I looking? Or is that like a unicorn right now? No, not necessarily. I mean, um, you're gonna have to drive till you qualify. Okay, and so can you buy a, like can the average buyer, you, you mentioned Manhattan, purchase a 500 square foot condo in Manhattan? No, because it's close to $2 million. Mm-hmm. So where do they go? They go to the Brooklyns, they go, and even Brooklyn now is increasing because people are driving until sure. they qualify. <laughs> Here in the greater Toronto area, you start to look outside of Toronto proper, where you're going to go into Durham, Mississauga, Brampton, Okay, um, maybe even areas like uh, Newmarket, where you can get an average thousand square foot townhome, eight hundred square foot townhome that most people could afford. Mm-hmm. So what, what what I'm really trying to say is that you got to you got to bring down your expectations. If you're looking at a twenty five hundred square foot home, it's not happening in downtown Toronto for the average person. Sure. Luckily for the younger people, there's the bank of mom and dad, which <laughs> is always helpful. However, you just got to drive till you qualify. It's why you're going to go a little, a little bit into the outskirts, even Kitchener, Waterloo. You're going to be able to get into downtown Toronto in forty five minutes with the new, uh, tr- the, the the new transit system. And so we see this right across the world. If you look at world real estate in the most urban part, like the downtown cores, the average person can't afford it, especially in the major cities, right? Like the Bostons, mm-hmm. the LAs, the New Yorks, you cannot, Paris, London. Toronto right now is selling at about $1,200 average price per square foot. Mm-hmm. So you take the purchase price of a brand new condo that's being built, divided by the square footage, you get your, your price per square foot. It's about 1200, $1,250. London, Hong Kong, Paris, Manhattan, all north, of $3,000. Even Vancouver in our own country mm. is hovering around $1,900 to $2,100. So to answer one of your questions, how long can this last? It's gonna continue. It's all because of the fundamentals of supply and demand. It will always come back to that. In any, like basic economics, a lot of demand, not enough supply, values will increase. And I guess the easiest, like another way to explain it is if you go into a bakery, and there's 52 people waiting in line, but there's only 22 loaves of bread, guess what's gonna happen to the price? They're gonna, mm-hmm. inc- well, the smart business person would increase it slightly. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing that's happening with real estate values. I mean, in terms of the dynamics of what can impact the, the current uh, situation here, I'll throw one thing out there, which you know seems to be making a little bit of news now. Of course, the pandemic has changed the way in which we work. You're seeing a lot of people working remotely. So much of you know maybe the uh, the price of real estate has to do with being in proximity of your work mm-hmm. and wanting a certain lifestyle within that. So let's play this out a little bit. What sure. if you do see this new normal where people have the ability to maintain their their work relationships within the city, but can be out of the city most of the time, and 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 they are looking at it going well. 
if I can get a lifestyle that I want in Caledon and I don't have to do the commute into the city, which is a big, big uh, deterrent, um, how do you, could that be a long lasting thing that shifts the paradigm? Look, could it? Yes, for sure. And I, I, I left my uh, crystal ball at home today, so I can't, yeah. I can't yeah. tell you 100% one way or the other. My personal thoughts on it, because we've seen a rush of people in the past, called, about a decade ago, leaving the city and wanting the white picket fence with, with the lawn and all that. Mm -hmm. However, the transition came back to lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So the one thing that Toronto really offers in downtown Toronto is that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. There's that age group of 25 to say 35. Forget if they have a car or not, they don't even have a driver's license. Like I think yeah. all of us probably lined up at the DMV the night before yeah. we turned 16 together. They don't care about a car, why? Because they're like, I'm either gonna take the transit, I'm gonna bike or I'm gonna walk to not only work, but where I wanna hang out. And so instead of, you know, I myself, I'm in the suburbs now, and we do grocery shopping for probably about six days of the, for, for the week. If you live downtown, you're, you're grocery shopping for the day, the day. maybe two, yeah. for two days. Why? Because you're walking to the local bakery. You're walking to do your dry cleaning. The amount of tenants that I speak with and say, look, if my walk is less than 30 minutes, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be more north of 30 minutes because that's how I'm gonna get my exercise. That's how I'm gonna run my errands. And so I just think that there's still gonna be a major, like a lot of people that are gonna to wanna to live in the core of downtown because it just offers lifestyle. And that age group as well, they don't care about maintenance. Like they don't, want, they don't have time or even want to cut the grass, shovel the snow. It's why the condo lifestyle offers so much. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I don't want to sound, I don't want to, you know, my, my next little launch into these questions now is going to make me sound like I'm an, an old person or I'm a NIMBY type of guy or something. But what I see is, and I'll get specific about the real estate and the buying, is what I see is what someone is willing to accept is something that maybe an older generation would be like, no way, I'm not doing it. I mean, I, I, in, the, in the neighborhood uh, I live in, in the annex, there's, of course, there's construction everywhere in this sure. city. It's like it's always going on. And there are people lying out on the grass, literally beside a backhoe that's just like scraping up asphalt. Yeah. And I saw someone flat out on their stomach just sleeping. Like, it's like, I'm relaxing. It's like, how on earth are you doing that? But I think, uh, I, I think that the younger buyer is, is willing to accept a lifestyle that maybe an older buyer would, buyer would say, there's no way I'm doing it. The way it's going, I can't do it. Well, look here, Steve. I mean, the average square foot footage of a condo that we sell right now, brand new, is a, probably about four, 425 square feet. Right. Tell our parents, or even us, like, you're going to live in a 425 square foot unit in the sky. It's like, no, it's a shoebox. I need my 2,000 square foot home. Right. And so we, developers know that, and hence why they're building smaller units, because... And I think the pandemic actually showed people a lot. Like, I, I, I referenced my director of sales and marketing, Laura, she's here as well. She realized they have a, I think it's about 1,600 square foot home, okay? 1,600 square foot home, but she only uses four, she only used mm -hmm. and uses about 500 to 600 square feet of it. The other's just, it's either useless square footage from the perspective of hallways or whatever it is, mm -hmm. or you just don't even need that extra room. You think you want it, but you know, one of her rooms she turned into a closet, right? right? And, so, and so I think you're right when you say the older generation has a tough time with it, but the younger generation just doesn't care. They don't want, they don't need the extra space and so they don't wanna pay for it. Yeah. They care more about lifestyle. And so as investors, if you know that, 
reverse engineer what you're gonna like where you're gonna get the highest return mm -hmm. it's going to be as close as you possibly can get to a downtown core and this is for anyone around the world mm -hmm. invest close to transit Mm -hmm. buy, so the new adage like location, 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 it, in my eyes is changing to buy where you can ride because that's where values are going to go up the highest, but that's where you're also going to get a, a flock of tenants consistently mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Like the Annex, for example, is one of the best places in Toronto. Why? Because it's close by transit. Mm -hmm. There's, there's like you can get to downtown Toronto in like what, 10 minutes 10 or something minutes. like that. You can walk for 45 minutes and get down there. Mm -hmm. But what else does it have to offer? Lounges, restaurants, just that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and in terms of um, the younger buyer as it relates to um, how they buy now, uh, I think maybe, you, and you, could, you, know, you can comment on this, this, uh, this staging of places. Now, it seems as though that staging has become like uh, no one doesn't do it now. Bare minimum. Bare minimum. Cost of entry if you're selling your home. So what's the insight there? What, what is it about the buyer that has to see a fully formed vision of something rather than maybe a buyer from the past who would look at it and go, good bones, I can see potential here. Uh, you know, the, the real estate agent doesn't have to take it on the chin usually to stage at X amount of $1,000 to do it. And what is it about the buyer that wants to see this turnkey vision as soon as they walk through the door? I think that was the situation always. Like, mm -hmm. and it's still, like you still hear it to, to, to this day where buyers walk in and be like, okay, the bones are great. But as a seller, to get the highest value and to sell it as quickly as you possibly can, you, you're better to get rid of all the personal inf uh, personal uh, uh, pictures and all mm -hmm. that, all the stuff on the counters and staging it because most people can't walk in walk into a condo, walk into a home and visualize. We mm -hmm. have problems just, we, we have a tough time visualizing in general. I walked into your guy's space here. If it was bare bones and or if it was staged differently, I probably wouldn't have, you wouldn't have got the wows that you did for myself and my team. That's mm -hmm. what happens when buyers walk in. Mm -hmm. You want to make it very easy for them to visualize their own stuff mm -hmm. in the condo. And that's why now it's a bare minimum. Um, what we do is we work with stagers where, where they have uh, the ability to rent out uh, furniture. Like it could be something that's like just chairs, dining room tables, certain uh, pictures that we'll put up of families, like, you know, those stock stuff that like stock pictures you get like in the sure. frame. We'll throw those up because people can start visualizing even maybe growing their family in a place. And so staging really helps the seller to get top value. We, not only do we do it when we're selling, even as a landlord when we're renting out a place, mm -hmm. because we wanna get a certain class of tenant, right? right? And a certain class of tenant is just gonna pay longer and you know that, you know that they're hope, hoping, you're hoping that they stay longer as well. Let's talk about your business in general because I think your your approach is I would call your approach to be creative and innovative. I think so. Yeah, I appreciate um, that. And because um, I think everybody has this idea of what a real estate a real estate agent is right now. Um, I mean, I probably know the answer to this already, but. It, it, it's like, why are real estate agents, why is their face on everything? Why is there a guy's <laughs> face on a, on a park bench? And, yeah. You know, in this, you know, crappy we, we haven't hit the urinals yet. I think that's what's <laughs> coming up next, but. But it, it kind of reminds me, I mean, I, I, I spent a bit of time working on uh, with car dealers and, you know, with car dealers, it was always like, you're going to be in the newspaper, big car, big price. This is what works. Creative people look at that and they kind of go, oh, geez, that's not too creative. And the dealer looks at you and goes, yeah, but it works. Yeah. So what is it about the face 
uh, of real Started estate. Started in, in, in the early 70s and no one's changed it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. it just that it, I, I think the first realtor put his his or her face um, on, a, on a park bench or like on one of, like on a bus or whatever. Sure. Um, it also... You know, it started back when back at that time, cold calling and door knocking, and people still do it. And so, not to knock anyone's business model, mm-hmm. for me, I never did. Um, in fact, if even if I put up a house on, in the newspaper, um, I always made the picture of the home the biggest, and not my picture, where it's like agents want it's self promotion. And I get it; it's short term sales metrics that they're looking for. They're looking how can I how can I sell something right now. What we decided to do differently is we're going to think about this long term. We're going to think more marketing and branding than sales. And so that's how kind of us producing approximately 20 pieces of content a day, that's where that started from. Um, it originally started from a podcast mm-hmm. uh, and, and just educating, leading with education. Once somebody gets a flair of me, They can see me, they can listen to me. Now they can make a decision if they wanna actually meet with me. And I think that's been the biggest game changer for us is that people that walk into our door now, they already got a little taste of me. And so they either made a decision, like they made a decision, do they like the color of my skin? Do they like the way that I speak? Do they like the fact that I wear a t-shirt or not? Like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not against people wearing suits. I'm just not comfortable in that setting. I'm very comfortable in my own skin now. And so that really was the game changer because whoever came into our doors, they already got a taste of us. They want more information. It cut that, that time in half trying to build rapport. We kind of did it already digitally. Yeah. I I mean, I, I, the math I would do on that is maybe the old school person would say, I put my face on, on something because I want people to look at me and trust me and there's the face of trust. And here we are in this digital age and I, what I see you doing is you're sort of building trust but you're not doing it simply by an image of yourself that's just like this. It's through education, it's through sharing knowledge. Yeah, look, I think I'm really good looking. Right. So, so if you take a picture of me, I think most people should be attracted to it. But that's me. Right. Some might <laughs> Love say, that confidence. right. Some might say, well, I don't really like this guy. And now that's what they're making that decision on. Mm-hmm. But at least now with this age that we live in, they get to hear me. They get to see, yeah, I'm a little animated. I move my hands around. And some would say that turns like that turns them off. That's all. I love I love the fact that I'm not meeting with people that I haven't met with yet in terms of like they're not wasting my time right. and I'm not wasting their time. I'm not trying to sell them on something right it's like here's all the education you make the decision mm-hmm. if you like how you like uh, uh what you hear and i'm going to give it to you in a lot of different ways though i'm going to give it through i'm going to give it to you through video through audio and through the written word and then i'm going to mix in some like the next big thing that i'm doing which i think it gets released this week is um cartoons so i have two cartoonists on staff now just have some nostalgic, like I'm very nostalgic around <laughs> cartoons. And so now you're going to see little jazz animated and producing content for, for, for real estate, but also just business in general and for the kids. Like if I can start inspiring kids at 12, 13 years old, why not? I have that long-term mindset, 12, 13 years plus 20, mm-hmm. right? They're going to be 32, 33. They're going to be thinking about buying and renting. If I was the guy that was in front of their face for 20 years, I might have a better shot at it. Right. And, and was the, was the idea always to be the, like, my question for you would be, um, was the idea, are you more of an entrepreneur than you are like a real estate guy or was the vision always to kind of, you know, get some expertise here and then really kind of blow it out? Yeah, look, I, I, I think I've always been a sales guy Mm -hmm. first and foremost. Um, at 12, I started, that was my first paper route. And then I kind of realized if I broker 
out more routes that my friends were just scared. They were fearful to even call the manager to get a route. I got the routes, kind of started to, to distribute it to them, took a little cut, then went into shoe sales. Then I went into the banking industry in the sales position, car sales, for, and then real estate. And so in all honesty, I care nothing about the bones of a home or, or a condo. Mm-hmm. And my clients know that. Like, I don't right. look at the art. Like, I, that's not who I am. I'm not passionate about that. I'm passionate about helping people build out investment portfolios. Mm-hmm. And f- to answer your question fully, Steve, it really is from an entrepreneurial perspective. I like having a lot of things on the go and being okay with failing because I know I'm going to fail at them. Yeah. It's that, what I said earlier we during the pandemic, fail that probably 80% of the things that we tried. The 20 changed the course of our business. I think we did a little over seven figures in in, in commissions over the last 62 days, mm-hmm. 63 days. Mm-hmm. And that was all because we tried so many things that didn't work. You never know what's going to work, right? So you put it out there and let kind of the market decide. Uh, on your salesperson journey, what was the toughest sale? I mean, cars sounds like a pretty tough, tough industry. Yeah, that was probably. See, the one, the, I love the car business. Like, you're taking me back. It's, <laughs> it was three years for me. Um, and I talk about it with my team all the time. Um, the thing with the car business, why it's tough is because you only have a, a one hour window with somebody. And, and if they leave your dealership, the chances of them coming back is rare. We're in real estate, you know that you have a lot of time because mm-hmm. the chances of meeting with somebody and then buying that day is so rare. So from, from a, uh, to answer your question, what was the toughest, it would have been cars for sure. Yeah, yeah because you gotta, you gotta close them right away, right? Like you, you can't let them leave because if they do, chances of them coming back is gonna be low. I remember talking to an entrepreneur who was involved in, in, in a winery and he said, look, it's going to take at least six, seven years before he actually sees a harvest that comes back where they can actually turn it into something. And in real estate, I do look at it that way. It's like when you look at most people in real estate, maybe aside from the investment, a lot of people are like, how many times does that transaction happen? Maybe twice? Maybe, yeah, maybe for some people five years or something, maybe just once. Yeah. Maybe once. Now you're laying this, you're, you're trying to create relationships where that person who has that one important transaction comes to you when, when they're ready, but that could be years out. What is, what, what of this thing of, of really trying to maintain relationships just, just in case someone comes to you with their major transaction that might be five, six, seven years down the road? Yeah, look, I mean, you got to be more of a farmer than you are a hunter for sure in real estate. Um, but I never look at the, the one person. In fact, if you were thinking about buying a home, mm-hmm. I, like it doesn't even matter to me if you do or if you don't. Mm-hmm. It's the 200 people that I know that you know on average. Okay. So if I treat you well in answering your questions, if you buy, awesome, I have more chances to wow you. But if you don't, I'm all, all, I'm, I'm all in on hoping that you tell Josh and you tell Sam and you tell Keegan and you tell Laura. Because I know that the average person knows 200 people. So my network, and for anybody who's listening right now, your network is 40,000 people. 200 that know 200 and so on and so forth. If you just focus on bringing education, treating people right, and only worry about getting referrals, the mindset on how you're gonna take care of somebody changes. Cause you're not trying to close them, getting them to buy right now. It's more like, okay, how can I drop some seeds here? How can I plant some seeds for them to introduce me to their network? Mm-hmm. Because that's how you can essentially, I use the word taproot. You taproot through Steve to meet all his people. 
Right. And that's what's really been the diff, the, 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 what's differentiated us in the marketplace. Aside from the content, in fact, you know, funny things happen with the content. Maybe when I started 15 years ago, I was like, Steve, if you know somebody that knows somebody that wants real estate advice, please let them know about me. For the last two and a half years that I've been doing this content model for a very, like, like heavily, it's don't even tell them about me. Just tell them about the podcast. Mm -hmm. Tell them about my Instagram. Tell them whatever it is. Let them make the decision. So for you now, Steve, it's an easier sale for mm -hmm. you to tell your friend about a podcast than it is saying you got to work with my guy Jazz. It's right. a little tougher. You're putting your name on the line a little bit more because if I screw up, that's not going to go over well with you. If you tell somebody, yeah, man, go check out this guy's podcast. Go check out his his content. It's not that big of a deal, right? Like you trying to really introduce them to me to buy and sell a home. You're just putting your name on the line a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And what of the metrics of, of investment when it comes to communicating? I think there's a lot of people out there who'd be impatient. So they, would, they might look at it and go, uh, well, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to start doing it. But if I don't see results in the first six, six or eight months, I'm really going to start to wonder about it. Here you are. You're years deep into your podcast. In terms of value, how do you, what are the metrics that you use to sort of say, hey, this is doing what I need it to do? Engagement with um, my, so when we started this podcast, it was, can I give tools to my clients already? So I started with, at that time, I think we were probably about 4,000, 5,000. It was in our community and we're close to 10,000 now. So it's doubled, but it was can I give them something? Can I just get in front of their face with something different? And as time went on, it probably took, I'm going to say about eight months or so, where I started to feel, yeah, this is going somewhere. Mm. Why? Because I would just meet with people and they'd be like, yeah, like, oh yeah, your podcast, I heard about that. Mm. Uh, you know, thanks for having XYZ, like that speaker on or that guest on, or you spoke about that topic. It was the, met, the main metric to me is what my clients are saying about it. What's happened now is the clients are telling other people I'm meeting like I'm here with you right now because of the podcast you never would have came into my world probably or vice versa mm -hmm. I did a podcast with somebody in Nigeria not too long ago so a girl in Saudi Arabia like my world it's like it's taking me all over the place mm -hmm. but the main metric was what are my clients saying and am I is am I removing the friction for the sale later on because I'm educating them up front. I had uh, one of my uh, admin not too long ago go into my Instagram, like the DMs, and just pull out the last, I think it was, I think he went back last 90 days to see how many DMs I got, like, thanks for that podcast, Jazz, you're inspiring, whatever it was, all the nice fluffy stuff and all the negative stuff. I think he found over 250. And that was the metric for me. It's not how, how many listeners they are, how many viewers, or how many people I have subscribed on YouTube, all very healthy and good numbers, but I never, I didn't even know those things exist. Mm -hmm. See, I went in with this with the only hope that my clients have, they, they, we, we, we're gonna become the trusted authority with them. But that takes time. You gotta have patience for that because right. it's not gonna, you're not gonna put up a video. I think what people think is I'm gonna put up a video and someone's gonna call me to, 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 to list a home or whatever service they're in. You need to consistently put in the work over time. And I think you need to do what you're naturally good at. I didn't like the cameras. I, one of the main reasons I want to come here, I, was, I even asked Keegan downstairs as my part-time videographer, I was like, how many cameras do they have up there? Because I missed all this action, the lights and everything. Mm -hmm. But when I started, I was just, I wasn't comfortable with any of it. 
it's why I started the podcast because I know you can just hear my voice, which I have a lot of background in telephone sales. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, nobody's ever told me they never liked my voice. I cannot write a sentence. I'm in a process. I'm six months deep into writing a book. I think I got another six, seven months left. I had to get a ghostwriter because that's her expertise right. me i write everything in a subject line it's always like hey steve when do you want to get on a call so i think anybody who's watching or listening now you're like ah this guy does 20 pieces of content a day first of all start with one and second of all just start with what you're naturally good at because you won't like you'll do it you'll actually do it and so if you can write just write mm-hmm. like i can't draw i draw i draw stick figures still so there's a lot of people that have, are, are like amazing drawers or they can take pictures. So I want, I want anybody who's listening to really focus on what comes natural to them. Yeah, well, let's just, just push a little bit further into that because one of, the, one of the standard questions that I ask all the guests that come on is when, when people see what you've done and want to emulate it somehow, maybe there's a younger real estate agent out there who wants to do something similar or an established one that wants to really kind of get out there more and kind of emulate this. What are the key pieces of advice that you would give them? In terms so if you're of starting out and if you've been in the business for a while, and this is not from a content perspective, but it will play out and help you there, you need an admin person. You need one admin person first and foremost. The biggest mistake I see people do in this business and really in any sales is to try to do everything themselves. They wear a lot of hats. You need an admin person that can take off 70% of the workload. Like in, in real estate, we still have agents who print off what's called a CMA, a comparative market analysis. Anyone can do that. Mm-hmm. Or they go put up their own lockbox. They put up their own for sale sign. They are trying to do everything because it's like, oh, I can't afford an assistant. You can't afford not, not to have one. Like you have to get an assistant. It's 15, 16 bucks an hour. It will give you back 40 hours of your life. Mm. That's when now you have a little bit more bandwidth to think about, okay, how am I going to build out some content? How am I going to, now you can start to think of more marketing and branding than you can do sales. Okay. And then when it comes to content, it really just starts with what are you naturally gifted at? Video, audio, written word, pictures, and then just get started. We, we have a huge sign in our podcast studio that says ready, fire, aim. Because so many people get caught up in ready, aim, fire, and then they get stuck in paralysis by analysis. Just get started. You're going to make mistakes. People are going to laugh at you. Who gives a crap? You're trying. It's like that, you know, when you had a zit. Like I I had one a couple of weeks ago. It was huge. It was this big. And I remember being 16, like worried about it going to school. Like, holy crap, the girls are not going to want to talk to me. Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But then I realized they were all worried about their own zit. It was never mine, right? And so it's the same thing here. Just get out, start speaking to the world, and I promise you, I promise you, you'll start to see so many more opportunities that you'll get in front of. Because the opportunities are everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's our job just to get in front of them and not trying to look for them. They'll, they're there. You just got to have the bet. You got to have the clarity and stop getting, stop being in the weeds so much. Right. Does that make sense? Like, like, stop worrying about the paperwork. Somebody else can do that. Someone else can pick up your phone, you worry on your core competence in sales, that's making connections. Because if you, you don't have any relationships, you have nothing to sell. You think that's cost of entry now for, for 100%, if you're not If you're not creating content, I like 
anyone who's on our team, they get that beat down in their head like 10 times a day. Does everybody do it? No. But you have to now because nobody's looking at newspapers. Mm -hmm. It's why the subscriptions to the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, all those papers have gone down because who opens up a newspaper on a Saturday or a Sunday? Not many. It's We're all stuck to our phones. Right. Like the second I get out of this podcast, the first thing I got to do is look at my phone to see what meetings I have, whatever it is, right? And so if that's where all the awareness is, you need to be there. There's only four to five apps anyways that really matter on our phone. You need to be on those now. It's just, it's actually very similar to 30, 40 years ago. We all just looked at newspapers, certain channels on TV. Now it's, everything's just on the phone. Uh, what is your ultimate vision now? Or what would you say in the next few years? Um, you know, clearly you're on a path. What is the, you know, one of the questions I was gonna ask you was, you know, sometimes you have a discipline, you're in the trenches, you have to be because you have to know your business and then you slowly start to back away and let others do that and manage. But some, some of us look back at that and kind of go, I kind of miss being in the trenches a little bit, but you clearly have a vision for the future. So where is this all headed? Look, to, to be honest with you, Steve, I have no clue, man. I've, I, I really <laughs> I think that's don't. I'm having, for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, for me it is. For me it is. I'm a, um, I'm really just enjoying what's happening. Like I love that I'm sitting here with you right now. And this was not in my cards a month. It wasn't in my calendar two months ago. Um, it definitely wasn't in my head two, three years ago to be on people's podcast and doing this. And so I'm enjoying this journey, man. Like I, I, I really don't have an end game. I am very excited about my book. Um, uh, that's something that uh, the first book I probably picked up on, like other than a textbook, was like uh, Anthony Robbins or a Jack Canfield. I can't remember exactly which mm -hmm. one. I heard a CD. Like now I listen to everything, kind of podcasts and audio CDs. Mm -hmm. But it inspired me, and I and 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 reading it, I was like, man, I, I I hope one day I can write a book. And now I'm in that process, and um, that's what I'm really excited about. I'm I'm excited about watching some of my team members grow, like they started with not knowing how to put a deal together, nothing panned out for six months, and now they're doing six deals a month. Right. You know, like, so watching that is what I'm really curious about. I like the fact that I'm growing my media squad. So it's a full-time videographer, part-time videographer, graphic designer, um, two cartoonists, that, the, car, the animations. That's something that is like really forefront for me right now. Growing the team is really what kind of excites me. I just like to have a lot of people around me. As I went to your bathroom and I walked past uh, uh, the trailer there, the first thought I had, I was like, damn, I need to, I need an office like this. Like, what are we doing here? Like, I want to have, like, I picture, you know, like a bar barista in the mornings and the mm -hmm. afternoons, and then at night it turns into a bar and my clients come and I want to have a little area, maybe, maybe where comics can come and do a little stand up on a Wednesday night, have, have, have somebody come on Thursday nights and write poetry. Like, that's what I'm thinking about yeah. is, is really growing out the relationships and being connected with more people. That's what keeps me up every single night. It's what gets me up in the morning. There's really no destination. There's not a dollar figure I have in my mind. My mom was a factory worker. My father was a, a, a taxi driver when they came here in 1974. I got way more than I ever signed up for. Like I have enough 
in terms of money. I have enough in terms of love and happiness. Now it's my turn to give it back. And it's just, I'm doing it in different, different ways. It's either growing the team or with content, inspiring someone. That's what I really want to 10x, 20x. That's great. That's great. Listen, I want to wrap up here by saying if someone wants to learn more about you and what you guys are doing, where do they go? Well, first and foremost, you tell me as well what I can do for you. Because that I like I just mentioned, I have everything I could ever want. It's I'm very easy to find online. So make sure you let me know what I can do to help you Thank guys. You. Um, and so thanks for having me. But uh, really the easiest one-stop shop to kind of find me is jazztakar.ca, J-A-S. T-A-K-H-A-R dot C-A. It really is the place you can get all the podcast episodes, all the animations, all the blogs, a new, a really cool newsletter I just came out with. Um, and I'm about to launch my first uh, search engine where you literally can search downtown Toronto condos and the 57 times I said downtown Toronto condos will come up in a video um, or and when I wrote it in a blog. And you'll find that on that same site. That's great. That's great. Jazz, thanks so much for being on. A lot, tons of insight, and I'm Thank so you. glad to talk to you today about really a pretty exciting uh, place, uh, Toronto real estate. So, um, so great. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate your team, man. Thank you for having me. This episode has been brought to you by the National Advertising Challenge, North America's only brief-based challenge that sends winners to Cannes, France.